Sunday morning we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order and we come uh, to John chapter 8 and most specifically verse 37. Jesus declares uh, to the religious leaders, he said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word, and therefore you do not hear because you're not of God. And then the Jews answered and they said to him, we, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. And I do not speak of my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, that if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, as we pray so often, we long to have every thought and intent, every eternal divine reason that this passage is in your book. We want it, Lord, to be written on the fleshly tablets of our heart. We want it to have a living, working, daily place in each one of our lives. And we ask you for a work of your Holy Spirit to accomplish that this morning. We love to know your will. We love to know more about you, Lord. 
And we pray that you would cause that to happen by your spirit this morning. We pray for that same blessing upon all of your people who are assembling all over this city this morning and all around the surrounding cities. Bless the body of Christ. Strengthen her, Lord, and enlarge her for the saving of souls today in our little part of this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In this passage in John chapter 8, we find ourselves in the middle of what is a really a very, very ugly exchange between the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day and Jesus. And they have become openly very, very hostile toward him. And I think, at least for me as I read it as a Christian, as one who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, it's, it's a very grieving section of Scripture uh, to read, to hear him treated this way and spoken of uh, in this way. You notice there in verse 41, they accuse him of being born of fornication. They attack his virgin birth. They said to him, we were not born of fornication, we have one Father, God. They accuse him of being a bastard. They accuse him of being illegitimate. They're accusing his mother of having been sexually immoral and that he is the product of that sexual immorality rather than accepting his birth as a, in his conception as a miracle of the Holy Spirit. They insult him in verse 48 by calling him a Samaritan. Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? That was a very, very deep insult in those days. And basically what they were accusing Jesus of was what they accused the Samaritans of, and that is not being a true Jew. You're no Jew. You don't care about the teaching of the fathers. You don't care about the teaching of the Word of God. You fashion some kind of religious system of your own, you know, in, in violation of, of the Word of God. And it's just a terrible and painful accusation that they make against Jesus here. And nothing could be more unfair. They're the ones that had encumbered the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, with book after book after book of traditions and boneheaded interpretations and, and, and legalism and over-restriction and going beyond what God said in the Law and the Prophets. And how many times did Jesus speak to these same people and say, Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? referring them back to the Law and the Prophets and what the Bible said and how what they had put together in their legalism and in their man-made traditions, that they were the ones that were the actual Samaritans in violating the clear teaching of the Word of God. And then astonishingly, once in verse 48 and then again in verse 52, they accuse him of being demon-possessed. Verse 48, do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Can you imagine being a mere human being? I don't care how full of yourself you are. And speaking to Jesus and declaring him, accusing him of being demon-possessed. I mean, the, here is perfect holiness, absolute purity, and you have the creation telling the creator 
that he is demon-possessed. They are completely uh, out of control. They've lost control of their lives here. Then notice in verse 53, they openly and publicly mock his claims to be greater than the Jewish patriarch, Abraham. They said, are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? One day, the Bible teaches, they will stand before Jesus as their judge. And I think they'll regret their mocking on that day. And they mock Jesus with the question, whom do you make yourself out to be? But one day the question will be directed to them, who do you think you are? And then finally notice in verse 59 that they ultimately took up stones to throw at him with the intention of stoning him to death. And you look at it and you say, this is incredible. Where is the humility? Where is the fear of God? And as, as I said, when I read this section of Scripture and their treatment of Jesus, I, just, I feel defiled. I feel uh, grieved by their treatment of him. And yet, it's in the middle of this, this terrible dialogue that's occurring between uh, Jesus and these religious leaders, this terrible rejection on their part, that Jesus posed an amazing question to them and all who are like them down through the ages. And the question that he poses is there in verse 46, where he responds to them by saying, Which of you convicts me of sin? Which of you can accuse me of a single sin? And look very closely at verse 47 and notice their response to the question. And as you look at the passage, you see what their response was. There was no response. The response was silence. And you're talking about a group of people in a public setting that to a person they would have given their right arm to be able to throw a sin back in his face, to be able to throw an accusation back in his face of wrongdoing, but not a single one of them could do it. They'd watched every move he'd made for three years. They'd listened to everything he'd taught for three years, and they had not witnessed a single sin. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how long they stood there in silence, how long Jesus made them stand in that public setting in silence. We don't know if it was for a second or for ten seconds or for a minute or for minutes plural. We don't know how long the silence went on. And interestingly enough, Jesus broke the silence. And the reason that he broke the silence is because he's the only one that can or ever will break the silence of, of that question posed to a single one of us in this room or in this world. And interestingly, he broke the silence with a second question which he posed to them. And the follow-up question was this, And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And this Jesus is merely stating what should be the logical response of their silence concerning the first question. And, in other words, if you cannot find any fault in me, then why don't you believe in me? 
That would have been the logical response to an inability to find anything wrong in his life and his teaching would be to put their faith in him. But these people are not honest seekers. Do you realize that if you reject Jesus, if you reject his claims, you reject him as your savior, that one day he will pose these same two questions to you. And so these two questions must be questions that every single person is prepared to one day answer before Jesus himself. And the problem is, as we all know, none of us will fare any better than these Pharisees 2,000 years ago before those questions. We'll have no more success in breaking that silence than they did because there is no one who can claim some sin in Jesus, some imperfection in Jesus as a basis for their rejection of Jesus. There is no answer. There's only silence. Well, if there aren't any good reasons for rejecting him, then there can only be bad reasons. There can only be illegitimate reasons for rejecting him. And there are plenty of those, many of which are in the text this morning. Notice in terms of bad reasons for rejecting Jesus, and they're educational for us, in case they're one of the reasons that we're holding on to today in our lives, is uh, keeping us from putting our faith in Christ. Notice number one in verse 37. They rejected Jesus because his word had no place in them. Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Literally, because my word has no room in you. Their hearts were so full of bitterness toward him, so full of, of murder and their rejection of Jesus, that they were unwilling to allow his teaching to have even a square inch of their minds even to give his teaching a square inch of their hearts. They, just, they were not willing to give Jesus' teaching a fair hearing. They were not willing to give Jesus' teaching a chance to challenge their own thinking and their own perspectives. And it's the kind of person today who rejects Jesus never having read the Bible, never having read the Gospels, never having read a single gospel from the Bible. And they don't read the scriptures, they don't read a gospel, they don't read the gospels because their heart is already full of their own views, their own perspectives, their own conclusions concerning life, and they don't want them challenged. So they give no room to the Word of God, unwilling to do it. They don't want to run the risk of exposure. They already have all of the information that they want to have about Jesus and it doesn't matter that it has come from every unreliable source under the sun, on the face of the planet. They've heard what they want to hear. Now their minds are closed and now they live a life of determined ignorance concerning Jesus. I've made up my mind. Now don't confuse me with the facts. And it's dishonest, but it goes on all of the time. And I think it gets worse the older we get, because the older we get, the more unwilling we are 
to have our perspectives and our opinions challenged by something that's contrary to them. If you have never ever read the Bible, if you have never read the four Gospels contained in the Bible, if you, then you have never given Jesus a fair hearing. Come up after the service to the men and women that will be up in front and ask them for a free Bible. They will mark the Gospels so that you can go home or to your car or wherever you want and read them and see for yourself if you can find a single fault in Jesus' teaching or in his life. The Bible declares that any honest seeker that comes to the Lord who's willing to give Jesus a fair hearing, that honest seeker will come to follow him. Well, that's the hard-hearted here, the closed-minded here, but there's another kind of person who rejects Jesus for simply telling the truth. You notice in verse 45, they rejected Jesus because he tells the truth. He said, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. That can seem incredible to us that someone would be rejected for simply telling the truth. And yet it's true that it happens. Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia and he said to them, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So here you have the person who gives the teaching of Jesus an honest hearing. They study it, they look at his life, they understand his life, they understand all the implications of his life as it's recorded in the Gospels and in the New Testament and all, but this person then rejects him because they don't like what they hear. Not because they can find a fault in him, but simply because they do not, they realize that his truth requires that they have to now turn away from their sin turn away from their self-will, their selfishness and, and all. This, I want to live my life however I want to live it. And they, want to, they don't want to do it. So they choose their sin and their self-will over Jesus. The previous person rejects Jesus out of a determined ignorance concerning him. This person rejects Jesus in order to protect their sinful life and their self-willed life. But that kind of person is still completely ill-equipped to answer the future questions. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? The answer, I rejected your truth because of my sin and because of my self-will. That will be honest, but it is not going to be an answer that will be of any help on the day of judgment. And then, number three, notice in verses 33 and 39, they rejected Jesus because they had a false sense of their spiritual security. They had a false sense of, of salvation based upon their relationship with Abraham. Notice in verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone Verse 39, they answered and they said to him, Abraham is our father. And they believed, as, as most Jews did in that, those days, that they were, uh, you know, automatically right with God. They were virtually guaranteed salvation by virtue of being a physical descendant of the patriarch, Abraham. 
Now notice Jesus' response in verses 37 through 40. And he responds by essentially telling them that while they may be physical descendants of Abraham, they are not his spiritual descendants. And he tells them that what had made Abraham special was not what he was physically, but what he was spiritually. Physically, Abraham was descended from a bunch of idolatrous pagans in Ur of the Chaldees. That was his bloodline. That's what he was physically. That's all he was apart from the grace of God. So to be merely a physical descendant of him was to have a bloodline into Ur of the Chaldees. Now what made Abraham special in human history was his faith in God. And what made him special in the eyes of God is not what he was physically, but what he was spiritually. And they don't get that. Abraham listened to God's truth. And then he obeyed it. On the other hand, these folks are trying to kill Jesus for declaring the truth of God to them. They are trying to kill the Messiah that the Father has sent, the same Messiah that Abraham had looked forward to in faith. So what Jesus is saying to them here is, your life, your fruit, how you live your life, it doesn't match your professions. You are, you are resting in the spirituality of your ancestors. Instead of revealing your own personal relationship with God on the basis of your own obedient life with, with God. Today it would be like the person who thinks that they're a Christian because their parents are Christian. Or their grandparents were missionaries. Or their father or their uncle was a pastor. Or their uh, uncle was a famous evangelist. Well, we're all glad for a godly heritage. That's terrific. But you can't live off of their reputations. You have to get your own personal relationship with God. God doesn't have children. The, the, the Bible teaches God does have children. But he doesn't have grandchildren no one can get into heaven on the basis of someone else's spirituality or someone else's relationship with God. We must have our own. And they were living off of someone else's spirituality and it wasn't good enough. Number four, notice in verse 44 that there was a demonic element to their rejection. Jesus said to them, you are of your father the devil. Put yourself in their shoes. Nobody talked to these people that way. These were the big, powerful, in everybody's eyes, the most spiritual people in the whole world because they had told them they were. And if you didn't believe it, you're out of the temple and out of the synagogue. I mean, nobody even looked at these people cross-eyed. And in a public setting, Jesus speaks to them and declares to them that they are of their father, the devil. And I think it must have hit them like a ton, ton of bricks, just like a bomb going off inside, uh, inside of their, their heads. And Jesus told them the truth, though. He's no respecter of persons. And the fact of the matter is, 
that there is a demonic element behind all rejection of Jesus. There is a demonic element behind all unbelief in this world directed toward Jesus. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He said, but even if our gospel, the good news concerning Christ, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, speaking of the devil, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They don't believe because the devil has blinded them. Someone might say, but these guys aren't, you know, dressed in rags and, you know, living in some kind of caves, able to have their heads spin around and on their shoulders, you know, as an evidence of demon possession. They're well-dressed. They're highly esteemed in the community. I mean, they're very, very powerful. They're very, very successful. Yes, but they're resisting Jesus and his truth. And thus they're about the devil's business. They desire Jesus' destruction, just as the devil was doing at the same time. Spiritually, Jesus said they bore no resemblance to Abraham, but they have a striking resemblance in terms of what was in their hearts to the devil. They look like nothing that God would do by his Holy Spirit. But they looked exactly like what the devil was doing at that moment in human history. And so for all of their respectability and their good looks and all of their wealth and how they could present themselves, they were just chips off the old block. And Jesus said, physically, you're Abraham's children, but spiritually, you're the devil's children. And then notice number five. I think that it's very important to recognize that Jesus spoke these things to very religious people. And a part of the reason that they rejected Jesus was because his life and his teaching was a threat to the religious systems that they had invested their whole life into. When Jesus declared in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? He said, because you're not able to listen to my word. One of the reasons that they were not able to listen to Jesus' words was because they were unwilling to allow his teaching to test the teaching of their religion and what it taught about God. And so here you have the religious indoctrination of their past kept them from giving Jesus a fair hearing. And because of this tremendous investment that they had made in their religious system, they were determined to test Jesus on the basis of their religious teachings rather than allowing their religious teachings to be tested by the teaching of Jesus. And it happens all the time. Around Modesto. It happens all the time all around the world. And it is very, very hard for people to get over this hurdle. But God will give us the grace to do it. And I understand the hardship. Whenever we talk to somebody about their faith, talk to them about, especially if it's something that they're really invested in, and maybe even generationally invested in as it relates to their family, we're talking to a person 
about the single most important thing in their life. We're talking to people about the one thing they don't want to have be disproved. The one thing that they don't want to have be shaken or changed. Everything else can shake and change in their life, but this is the one area that they want never to move or shake under their feet. That's the attitude that we have when we're invested in something in that kind of, uh, of a way. And, and so here they, they, they have, because of that attitude and because of that investment, there's a, oftentimes a tremendous hesitancy to leave that spiritual system or to leave that religion, even when they're presented with compelling biblical reasons for doing so. But it has to be done. Do you realize that even the most religious person in the world, even deeply religious people, must one day answer the question of verse 46? And to respond to those questions by saying, well, Jesus' teaching went against my religion. That's not a good enough answer. Because that's not the question that he asked. The question is, was he right or was he wrong? And if he's right, then I must be willing, even willing, to leave a religious system that I have invested my whole life into in order to follow him. The reason that that's so important to speak about this morning is that the overwhelming majority of the world's population will have to leave a religious system or a religious background to put their faith in Christ. As we mentioned so often, the overwhelming majority of, of people in this world will not have to leave a life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, though there's a lot of those people in the world, in order to follow Christ the overwhelming majority will have to leave a religious system that violates the life and the teaching of Jesus and thus is not true in order to become a follower of, of his. And that may include one or two of us here even this morning. And finally, they rejected Jesus because they were completely self-deceived, thinking that they knew God when they didn't thinking that they were all right with God when they weren't. Notice what Jesus said in verse 54. He said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. We cannot know what God the Father is like, independent of the life and teaching of Jesus. He has come to reveal the Father to us, not only in his teaching, but in his life. We cannot have a personal relationship with God Almighty, independent of Jesus, independent of being born again, independent of coming to God and confessing 
my sin to him. Yes, God, I believe your assessment of me as a sinner. I have violated your laws and I have sinned against you. And I believe that my sin has a consequence and it ought to be judged. But I also believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son Jesus into this world to die on the cross in my place for my sin and for the forgiveness of my sin. And I believe he was buried and rose again on the third day. And I believe that that is the Savior and that is the salvation that pleases you. And so I put my faith in you now for the forgiveness of my sins as I repent and turn from my old ways, give you my life, and when a person does that, God's Holy Spirit comes into their life. The greatest miracle that occurs in the whole world occurs at that moment. That person is born again by the Holy Spirit. We're already born once. Physically born. That, as evidenced by our sitting in this room today, there has to be a second birth that occurs. And the birth is a spiritual birth that comes by putting our faith in Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. If you think that you are all right with God and that you're on your way to heaven, but you are not born again, you haven't experienced that spiritual birth that occurs by putting your faith in Jesus, then like these religious leaders, you're self-deceived. You're self-deceived. And nobody likes to be told that. Oh, I don't particularly care to say it. But Jesus said it to them Back then, because it was a reality that they needed to hear, and sometimes we need to hear it today. If I think I am going to get into heaven on the basis of any other thing other than my faith in Christ, I am self-deceived because he is the only means of access into heaven and eternity spent there. And so Jesus takes here and he speaks strongly to these, these men 2,000 years ago. The passage speaks strongly to us here today if we're in that condition to tell us that we're in a, a dangerous condition and we're self-deceived. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, speaking to Nicodemus, a very religious man, and he said, Most assuredly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can it see the kingdom of God? It requires a spiritual birth to be born again. Someone told me about a celebrity that was on one of the talk shows or something like that, and he's made a profession of being a Christian and he was being interviewed. And this kind of thing is characteristic, it happens all the time. I won't name who he is, but um, just said, Well, are you a Christian? And he said yes, and then he was quick to say, but not the born-again kind. I'm sorry, that's the only kind of Christian that there is. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. I think that it's interesting to note that at the end of this discussion with the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus does not back down. He doesn't say, oh boy, I upset them and this isn't, this, I really, I hate to upset people like this and, and also, okay, 
forget it, let's, let's erase the marker board. I'm really not the Son of God, and I'm not really divine, I'm not really all these things that, that I'm saying. He doesn't do that. Notice in verse 58, he said to them in closing, Most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. It's one of the strongest statements for his deity the entire Bible uses the word I am, again, out of Exodus. God declaring himself to Moses to be I am that I am. It's a name for God. And so Jesus spoke the truth to him because he could not, he cannot even today deny this about himself. This is who he is. This is the only Savior that can save sinful man is one who is God in human flesh because he's sinless. Sometimes people will reject Jesus over the fact they'll say, well, you know, there's too much hypocrisy in the church, and so that's why I, I never became a Christian. That's not the question. Reread the questions. Reread the questions. Here are the questions. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe in me? Sometimes people say, well, you know, I haven't put my faith in Christ and, I, and all this, and I don't like how churches are always talking about money and those. That's not the question. The questions are, which of you convicts me of sin? And, as he says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Sometimes a person will look and say, well, you know, I never took Jesus seriously and I never took the Bible seriously and all because, you know, I had an aunt or an uncle or I had a grandma or I had a neighbor or I had a co-worker or I had a fellow student and they said they were, but I mean, they live away from church. I mean, you wouldn't, couldn't believe the kind of things that they did. And so I don't want anything to do with it. That's not the question. That's not the question. They are not the issue. The question has to do with Jesus. What fault do you find in him? And if you can't find fault in him, then why don't you believe the things that he says? One of my favorite titles for Jesus in all of the Bible is repeated a number of times in the book of Revelation where it is sung to him. One day I will sing it to him in, in that heavenly place. And as a part of the song that's sung to him, he is declared to be the faithful and true witness of God. The singular, the faithful and true witness of the Father. You can only come to your conclusion concerning Christianity, concerning the Bible, concerning salvation, concerning Jesus, based upon Jesus' life alone. He never said, listen, you can come to conclusions on the basis of those that follow me. Never said that. It's about him. He's the one that I must find a fault with in order to reject him. And of course, that is a very difficult thing to do. One day, as our passage teaches, there are no good reasons for rejecting Jesus. There are only bad reasons. And one day, every single reason for unbelief will be exposed as being a bad reason. And so, I strongly urge you, and the Bible strongly urges you, in love, to choose Him 
today. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service, and they'll have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God Himself today. And then the beautiful thing is, as you then will begin a life of heading into His truth. And wow, what a life unfolds as we walk in His truth, in the relationship that every single one of us has been created for. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, so many of us in this room, we just give you thanks today for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us to a place of faith in Jesus and to put us wonderfully, Lord, on the right side of these two questions to where these are not something that produce any kind of concern or anxiety or fear in us, but we celebrate these words of yours. And Lord, we pray for each one that stands here today for whom these questions are not something that's comfortable for them yet. They haven't yet come to the right conclusion concerning Jesus. We pray that today would be that day that that would happen for them. Lord, we want them to one day stand before you with great joy and not in silence in the face of unanswerable questions. And so bring them into relationship with you today, we pray. Thank you for your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.